like that. You Hello, everybody, and welcome that. to it's this like Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I apologize for missing Monday's show, but I promise it was for good reason. And we'll get to that reason there in a little bit. But before that, let's make sure we go over the housekeeping items first. Make sure you follow the Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, you're listening right now. So Apple Podcasts and Spotify, make sure you subscribe to all of those. Twitter, you can find me at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram account is Blackman Logan, with the show's Instagram account being the Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, search Logan Blackman Show, subscribe and like both of them. Check out some blog posts on Logan Blackman Show Facebook page where we will talk about one that we revealed on Friday here in a little bit. And then, of course, again, the most important part, make sure you follow the Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's the only way you're hearing this right now. So might as well make sure you are subscribed and or following on both and leave a five-star rating and then leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do. The rating out of five stars does not need to be five stars. I'd greatly appreciate it if it was five stars. But of course, you are entitled to your opinion. Just let me know why you feel that way down below, whether it's good or bad. Don't care. Just tell me, let me know why it's good or bad. Now, I'll get to why we didn't have a show on Monday a little bit later in the show. Okay, we'll get to that in a little bit. I want to start off with this because our, our not even really I was going to say arguably this was the biggest sporting event of this past weekend unquestionably the biggest sporting event of this weekend and it was Argentina taking on France in the 2022 World Cup final now before we get into the final I would just like to say this World Cup was awesome everything on the field and again specifically on the field this World Cup was one of the greatest ever like, it was so competitive, it was so fun, you had high scoring, you'd have, like, close games at halftime, sure, but the games were just so exciting. They were awesome. You had, like, you had drama, you had teams getting eliminated earlier that were, than were expected. We had the first African team to ever make the semifinals, make the semifinals this year. But to cap it all off, we had Lionel Messi cementing the GOAT status and winning his first ever FIFA World Cup. So congratulations to Argentina on beating France. And not only that, probably the greatest World Cup final of all time. At least the most insane World Cup final of all time. Argentina went up 2-0 in this game. 2-0. We had a Lionel Messi penalty and then an Angel Di Maria goal off a beautiful counterattack by Argentina. France, throughout the entire game, really didn't do a whole lot. Like, Usman Dembele and Olivier Giroud were subbed off at like the 40th minute. Like, they were non-factors in this game. Usman Dembele fouled, I believe it was Angel Di Maria, in the box to set up the first penalty. Like, go down 2 nothing, And then, towards the end of the game, as the game went on, it was like, oh my god, it's France, what happened? And then, like, you blinked your eyes, or if you went to go to the bathroom or something, like, oh, I want to watch this trophy ceremony, I better go to the bathroom now. Kylian Mbappe scores two goals in the 81st and 82nd minute. The first goal coming off a penalty. Similar-ish foul to what happened with the, the Angle Di Maria penalty earlier. And then... Mbappe slices home a beautiful ball, chipped over the top, on the volley, placed opposite corner, like, perfect goal to force extra time. So 2-2, from 2-0 to 2-2, like that, literally. A minute apart, the goals were scored. I don't know if that's exact, but that was about what the time was. A minute. I believe it was the 81st and 82nd minute these goals were scored. I was like, oh my god. Oh my god, we had Messi score, we had Mbappe score too. Mbappe really was the only French player that showed up in this game. It felt like anyways. France had been really good this entire tournament, but Mbappe has been their best player and is the best player on the French national team. And you could have made the argument back in 2018 that was the best player on the French national team. 
Obviously, Antoine Griezmann was probably the main talisman of the French national team back in 2018. But was the best player turning into Mbappe at the time, 18-year-old Kylian Mbappe? I, that was the sign of things to come. 18 years old, getting his first uh, first FIFA World Cup and scoring in the final, nonetheless. nonetheless. And then on this one, he gets two goals. And then we fast forward to extra time, and not a lot's happening in, at the start of, the, of extra time anyways. And then we see Lionel Messi score. And to be honest, I so well we were at a we were at a football game the night before, and we didn't get back to our place until to about two thirty. So we were we had a pretty late night. So we got up later, so I didn't shower until later. So I was like, okay, we got to get going because we're heading back to Des Moines. We'll get to the game here in a little bit, but I, we were getting ready. I was like, well, I'm gonna take my laptop into the bathroom and like shower and have the volume on and everything. So I missed the goal when it first happened, but I rewatched it a bunch of times. Lionel Messi. Gets the ball squeaking over the cross, over across the line. Uh, Raphael Varane. <laughs> I saw that. Imagine uh, being so thick you keep your team from winning a World Cup. <laughs> One of the best things I've seen from the World Cup in that regard. So Messi scores to make it 3-2. And then the 118th minute, 10 minutes after Messi scored or thereabout, Montanel, I don't remember who he fouled in the box, but Kylian Mbappe steps up again. He already scored a penalty, went to his left. And then goes up again and goes to his left. The first hat trick in a FIBA World Cup final since I believe 1966 was Jeff Hurst. Jeff Hurst. And people always make fun of the Jeff Hurst <laughs> uh, Jeff Hurst um, hat trick because not all the balls went across the line, famously. So somebody, I don't remember who it was, said uh, congratulations to Kylian Mbappe and scoring the first FIFA World Cup final hat trick where all balls actually crossed the line. I don't remember who said that on Twitter, but I thought that was pretty funny. But now we got 3-2. Or 3-3. Three, three. And then we see Kylian Mbappe. And then France are just on the... They're on the attack now. They smell blood in the water. Argentina had a chance later on in that after that. But most of that extra time period after Mbappe scored that goal was dominated by France. Kylian Mbappe almost had the, one of the greatest solo effort goals of all time. Just off the mark, though. Just off the mark, though. And then we see... Oh, who was it? Crap, I'm completely blanking right now. We have, I, I believe it was Muani, Muani, who came in at the, the 40th minute for, <laughs> for Olivier Giroud, I believe. Yeah, or Usman Dembele, whoever. Like, him and Th Marcus Thurem came in at the 40th minute, or 41st minute, I guess, technically. But he comes in, and he's got a through ball. And he's one-on-one -on -one with Emiliano Martinez. And Emiliano, Emiliano Martinez makes probably the greatest save in FIFA World Cup history. Like, if you look at the still images from that shot... Like, there is nobody near. Like, obviously, you can, there's people somewhat near, but it's one on one. And Emiliano Martinez makes, again, I'm not being hyperbolic here, the greatest save in FIFA World Cup history. I've yet to see a save that went like that to that magnitude. Like, it was ridiculous. And Argentina were shutting down. Like, Argent Messi scored the goal, they brought in Pazella, and they were like, oh, we're shutting down now. We're closing down. And then Montiel, Montiel caused, forced the penalty. So Mbappe gets his hat trick. Messi's got two, Mbappe's got three. So Mbappe wins the golden shoe, or golden boot, whatever the hell you want to call it, after that third goal. And then we go to penalties. And this is why it is so important. Like, this is what I love about this. Killing Mbappe gets all this hate for being a money-hungry young player. But you guess what? Mbappe's got a set of balls on him. 
that dude stepped up first, and not only did he score his penalty, he went to the exact same spot again. He went to the left side three times in this game. Every single penalty Kylian Mbappe took, he took to the left side, he scored every single one. And he went first in the penalty shootout. Went very first in the penalty shootout. As a 22-year-old, on the cusp of winning your second straight FIBA World Cup, the second team to go to back-to-back World Cups since Brazil did it in 98-2002, and would have been the second team to ever go back-to-back since Italy in, I believe, uh, 1934-1938. I believe that's right. I'm not 100% confident on that one. And he steps up, not once, not twice, but three times and scores in the exact same spot every single time. Because penalties, for those of you who've never taken one, it's a very mind you're, it's a mind game between yourself and the goalie. And it's not like some crap shoot. There's a lot of studying that goes involved on both parties. Like you can take on every single penalty every player's taken, every player's took, that's going to go up and take one, or you think it's going to go up and take one, and you just follow it, you watch every, it's like watching film in other sports. You just watch where they take it. Killing Mbappe's take penalties in the past. They know where he's going to try and take them. And you got to know what ways the goalkeepers are aggressive movers. So that's why you see some players do like the hop. Like they'll jump in the air a little bit or give a little skip or pause and they'll get the goalie to move one direction and you place the opposite corner. Very easy way to score a penalty. But Mbappe to go up there three times and slot him home all three times in the same exact spot is damn impressive. And a performance like what Mbappe did in this game deserved a World Cup title. It's just a shame that the rest of the team didn't really show up in this game. France as a team did not have the greatest game of all time. But Mbappe might have had one of the greatest games of all time in this game. And Messi himself had one of the greatest games of all time, linking up every single thing Argentina did, scoring the game, the goal that put him ahead both times. Put him up first one nothing, then put him up 3-2 in extra time. And then he scores the first penalty in the penalty shootout. The two best players... On the field, the two players that are going to be rivaling for the Ballon d'Or next year both stepped up first to take their penalties for their countries and the biggest stage. One who's never won a World Cup in Lito Messi, who's lost in a final, who has missed penalties in a final before in the Copa America, steps up to take it first. And Kylian Mbappe, at 22 years old, already won a World Cup and really been the only player that showed up for France in this game. Both step up, both drill their penalties home. Messi's was not, I guess I shouldn't say drilled, Messi's a little slow dribbler, which I think he put a little t- uh, put a little less on it than what he was originally intending, because Hugo Lloris actually came decently close to saving it once he once he recovered himself. But then Emiliano Martinez just does Emiliano Martinez things and saves two penalties. Just what he does. Emiliano Martinez is one of the best penalty savers in World Cup in 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 the world right now. In the world. You can go back to the Copa America last year, a year and a half ago, however long ago that was, and go to this World Cup. Like, the dude is unfazed at penalty shootouts. And he gets in people's heads every single time. The, but the When Chumeni came up to take his penalty, Emiliano Martinez was holding onto the ball until Chumeni got there, and then basically threw the ball outside of the box. And not the little tiny box. He almost threw it out of the goal box in general. And once Chumeni stepped up to take the penalty, you're like, oh, he's missing it. He's missing it. I thought he was going over the bar. He just completely missed it to the left. And even if it was on target, I think Emiliano Martinez saves it anyways. It's the mind games. Emiliano Martinez is king shithousery. 
I love that. A lot of people I can understand not really like liking Emiliano Martinez. But Emiliano Martinez is very fun to watch, very entertaining. And he gets in the head of every single player that steps up. Every single one. And it's insane to watch. And then Paulo Dybala, and I was nervous about this, Paulo Dybala came on in extra time with like a minute left. On, brought on specifically for penalties. And he was the second person to take the penalty. That startled me a little bit. Because if you remember back last year, in the Euros with England, Rashford, Rashford and Sancho were brought on in a similar-ish time and both missed penalties. They didn't have any time to really get into the game. And Paulo Dybala just lashed his right down the middle. And I think he got nervous. Like, there was a point in time where he, like, jumped after he took the penalties. Like, his eyes got a little wide. He's like, oh, he thought he, <laughs> he he got a little scared there. He got a little scared. But, man. And then he had the Eno Paradis scoring his penalty. And then Gonzalo Montiel, the guy who committed the foul to give Kylian Mbappe the penalty in extra time to send this to penalties, ended up scoring the penalty and sending Hugo Lloris the wrong way to give Argentina their first World Cup title since, I believe, 1980. What was the, the uh, when was it? I'm blanking now. Or is it 88? It's in the 80s. It's 88 or 80, and I don't, I can't remember which one. I apologize for that. I can't, I just can't remember. But Argentina winning their first World Cup, it's emotional. It was an emotional game watching it. I got emotional watching the Copa America final when Argentina beat Brazil 1-0 when Angel Di Maria scored. I believe it was the same night Conor McGregor snapped his ankle against Dustin Poirier because I went over to a friend's house to watch that fight afterwards. I believe it was that fight. I went over to my friend's, uh, friend's parents' house after the, after the game to watch a fight, and I believe it was that one. I believe it was that one. But, like, Messi is one of those players that, at least for me, at least for me, and if you've listened to the show long enough or just know me in general, you know my feelings about Lionel Messi. I've made it abundantly clear about my feelings about him being the greatest soccer player of all time. And I might even go as far as say he's the greatest athlete of all time. Like, there's a lot of different things that Lionel Messi has done that make me go, there's no one on the planet that's even thinking about doing that. I don't get emotional watching a lot of athletes, but Lionel Messi, just what he does and how he carries himself, how he carries the team, how he does every little thing, it's like, Oh my God, I just sit there and laugh. Because it, it, it mind, it's mind-boggling at times. And for those people who were like, this is the moment Messi is now the GOAT, this wasn't a conversation to begin with anyways. There was never a conversation, really. If you just sat down and watched Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo, there was no debate, ever. Throughout the history of both of them playing, there has never been a debate about who's the GOAT between those two. Messi is one of the greatest goal scorers of all time and the greatest creative player of all time. And now he has won literally every single thing there is to win in the world of soccer or football, whatever you want to call it. Dude helped transform or bring back Barcelona. Like when Real Madrid were first starting their Galactico phase, Barcelona really nowhere to be found. And they brought in some decent players. Like you brought Ronaldo in. You brought Ronaldinho in from PSG. You had Rivaldo there. Like, you had players. Xavi Iniesta, Pep Guardiola. But then, once Messi came, you started winning Champions League finals again. And created one of the greatest front lines of all time. When you have players like Luis Suarez and Neymar, who at the time are willing, willingly taking a backseat to Lionel Messi, and the thing is with Lionel Messi, his goal-scoring record would be so much higher if he wasn't as unselfish. Like, Lionel Messi, there was a penalty. I believe it was him that took the penalty. I believe it was for Barcelona. He just tapped it off. And Neymar or Luis Suarez ran up and smashed it home. 
I believe it was Messi that took took the penalty like that. But Messi took so much away for the betterment of the team and was the reason why every team was as good as what they were. Like, he had his little drab season last year with PSG because he was coming away from an emotional situation where he was at a club that he never wanted to leave and was forced to leave due to the financial circumstances at the club. And basically, with him leaving, allowed the club to survive. <laughs> Maybe La Liga would have had some other sanctions that come away. They're like, oh, man, Barcelona did this, this, and this. We're going to somehow keep him in when every other club, far from like Real Madrid, would have been excommunicated. You need La Liga needs Barcelona and needs Real Madrid to be at the top. Barcelona are nowhere near that at this point in time. They've got some good young players. Some have got some good young players. They got a good identity right now, but they're not where they used to be. They don't have that star player right now. I mean, Robert Lewandowski is a star player, but the dude's like 35 years old. He's not that same player that he was back in the day. He can still score goals because as a striker, especially one like Robert Lewandowski, you see it was Zlatan Ibrahimovic, you're seeing Ronaldo do it now. They're poachers. You don't need to be the most mobile. You just need to know, find the pockets of space and know how to win certain battles. You don't need to sprint past anybody anymore. You just need to know how to score the tap-ins. And it works. It works. There's no shame in doing that. Like, it works. And Robert Lewandowski is one of the greatest strikers of all time. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, same thing. Cristiano Ronaldo, same thing. But again, if you went in this tournament going, Messi needs to win the World Cup in order for him to become the GOAT, then you never actually really thought Ronaldo was the GOAT anyways. There was not one part of me that said, oh, Cristiano Ronaldo wins the World Cup, the debate's over. It's Ronaldo. No. No, 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 no. There was not one part of me that said that. This game, if let's say hypothetically France ended up winning this game. Mbappe scores that beautiful uh, individual effort that when I believe it went wide. He scores that and Argentina lose the game. Messi's legacy is not tarnished by that. Messi's legacy is already, what do you, what do you want to call it? Cemented. Messi is, was, and still is and was the greatest player of all time, before he won his first World Cup title. But now this is what everybody had going like, okay, now we've got it. Like if Miliano Martinez doesn't save Muyani's goal, then we're, are we having a different discussion here? Are people still sitting like, well, Ronaldo's the GOAT still? No. If you thought like that, then you're stupid. I'm sorry. <laughs> Like, I don't, again, I don't know how you can sit down throughout their careers and watch both of them and go, yeah, Ronaldo's better than everything Messi's doing. Apart from being taller, there's not anything Ronaldo can do that Messi can't. And there's multiple things Messi can do that Ronaldo can't. Ronaldo at 35 was not this player. This, Lionel Messi does not get benched at any point throughout a World Cup or a major tournament, especially maybe his last one. I didn't hear any Portugal players saying, I would die for Messi. I would die for him. Like Lissandro Martinez. Like Rodrigo De Paul. Like Leanders, Leanders Paredes. Like all these different players for Argentina that just, Emiliano Martinez. Christian Romero. Like all these different players. You win it for your country, and then you win it for Messi. That was what their mindset was. Messi made this team go. This team is not that great. And we're being 100% honest here. 
Uh, the only reason we had Argentina winning the World Cup final at the beginning is because I wanted it to happen. I wanted Argentina to win the World Cup final. Because I wanted Messi to finally get his World Cup title so we can finally end this stupid discussion about who's the best between Ronaldo and Messi. And even if we're talking about the greats, you look at the top five greats of all time, is Ronaldo in the top five greats of all time even? Like he's got all the goal-scoring records, but the same thing as like Emmett Smith, the top five running back, or just off by default because he has the all-time leading rushing record? Like Emmett Smith's not in anybody's top three at running back. And he's like 2,000 yards, 1,000 yards above the next closest running back in the NFL rushing leaders race. Is Frank Gore a top five running back? Like, you got, he's got all these records, so you have to put him up there. No, you don't. No, you don't. It's, it's not how this works. Just because you have a crap ton of records, it just means longevity. He's 37 years old. He's one of the most selfish players of all time, which is a good thing. I don't want to sit here and say it's a bad thing, because that's why he's got all the records. You need to be super egotistical to have that goal-scoring record. Like, Emmett Smith's not a top three running back of all time. Like, to me, the top three running backs of all time in no particular order are Barry Sanders, Walter Payton, and Jim Brown. And then you're like, well, Emmett Smith's got the record, so we have to put him in there. That's kind of what we're saying here. Because I guarantee Argentina don't win this final without Messi. Portugal have literally won a final without Ronaldo. They won the, co- the Euros in 2016 with Ronaldo sitting on the bench after the 20 minutes. Messi does not... If he's not on the field for Argentina, they don't win. There's no Argentina 6-1 victory against anybody if Messi's not on the field. Because Messi makes everything tick. Ronaldo, Portugal has to play through Ronaldo. Ronaldo has to have the team play through him. But the difference is, Messi can dribble through everybody. Ronaldo can't. So when Ronaldo's stepping back, Ronaldo's just done and pulled himself completely out of the field. Like, I think Ronaldo is one of the greatest players of all time. I do. I know we bash Ronaldo all the time because people make stupid comparisons all the time to him and Lionel Messi. Because Ronaldo has the Sioux celebration, so everybody, you know, gets all excited about that. Gets a massive erection from just doing the Sioux celebration. That's pretty much it. Ronaldo scored the header goal. He's got the bicycle kick. He's got those. But what else does he have over Lionel Messi at this point? Nothing. He's got less Ballon d'Ors. He's got the same no he's got less international titles, including Copa America, and now the FIFA World Cup. And Messi said he's not done retire he's not gonna retire. He said if Argentina win the World Cup, I want to continue playing for Argentina. And people wrote this team off for dead after they lost to Saudi Arabia 2 1. Like they're the second team in World Cup history to ever win a World Cup after losing their first game, the other one being Spain in twenty ten. Like, this Argentina team is good, but without Lionel Messi, this team does not get to the final. They don't. Not in a million years. Messi's the, I believe they said the first player to ever score in the quarterfinal, semifinal, and the final. Round 16, quarterfinal, semifinal, final. I believe that's right. I could be wrong about that, so don't quote me on that. But that final, this World Cup, this player, we just witnessed the greatest of all time all across the board in the 2022 FIFA World Cup. And I hate that it's done. I really hate that it's done. Even the United States has things to be proud about this World Cup. Frustrating. Like, the United States really could go away being more frustrated than positives, but there are positives to take away from the United States after this World Cup. 
You can hang with the big boys. You just need a manager that will push you towards beating the big boys instead of drawing with them and sitting back against the smaller teams. Like, it's weird. Yeah, all the pictures that have gone around, all the stuff that's gone around with Argentina and Lionel Messi, it's just been awesome. My social media feed's been beautiful. I've never been so happy for a team that I have no affiliation to apart from my love for Lionel Messi. That's it. The greatest of all time was never a debate. This World Cup final did not confirm that. If he lost it, it was still the GOAT. If he won it, he was still the GOAT. But for people out there that needed this, there you go. You got your World Cup final. It was beautiful to see. Emiliano Martinez, fantastic tournament, won the Golden Glove. Enzo Fernandez, uh, uh, the a young boy, the young player of the tournament award. Like you look at the past, however many young players of the tournaments, there's been some pretty impressive names going back to 2010. It's like Mbappe in 2018, Pogba in 2014, uh, Thomas Muller in 2010, I think Lucas Podolski in 20, 2006. A very impressive names right there. Very impressive names between those guys. And now Enzo Fernandez, who will be getting, I would, I would assume at some point, getting a massive, 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 massive move somewhere, somewhere, at some point. <laughs> he was late to Manchester United pretty heavily, went to Benfica, and now they're going to slap a monster price tag on him because how he played in this tournament. And deservingly so. Dude played absolutely fantastic this tournament. Uh, Julian Alvarez played fantastic this tournament as well. Was not even expected to start. Started two of the biggest games for Argentina in this tournament, semifinal and the final. Was not even supposed to start. Kept Lissandra Martinez on the bench. And Lissandra Martinez, people are making fun of him because he's the next Gonzalo Higuain because he just there were so many opportunities that he missed in this tournament. He missed the header in extra time, a standalone header that he should have definitely scored. But man, uh, greatest tournament, greatest final, and the greatest player of all time. Yeah. It's been fantastic. I have enjoyed every single minute of this World Cup, apart from, you know, the United States losing 3-1 to the Netherlands. But, yeah, it's been awesome. And these pictures, like the him getting carried, Messi getting carried off, it's been it's been fantastic. But the other the thing that's been also awesome about this World Cup is him, <laughs> all the Argentina players trying to air Salpe. I've never understood, really, the, uh, um, I don't know what you want to call it, the affection for Salt Bay. He's always seemed really corny to me. I've never really, I've seen his videos. Like, I don't know what the, like the, the, what the salt thing is or why that's a thing that he does. Well, why he got on the field access after the 2022 FIFA World Cup and tried to take pictures with all the players and Messi just aired him. He tried to take the, the World Cup trophy away from Lissandro Martinez while he was taking a picture of it. Like it's, he's just weird. Very odd person. Very, very odd person. And now that the World Cup's over and debates have been settled, we got a crowning champion, the uh, top 40 FIFA World Rankings have been announced, and this is just shows again why the FIFA World Rankings are just super weird and super stupid and make absolutely no sense. So the top three, I, can, I don't really have that much of an issue with. It reads Brazil, Argentina, and France. I mean, it's hard to sit here and go Argentina and France shouldn't be one and two, but Brazil have a very talented squad. Got unlucky against Croatia, lost on penalties, but they should be three. If they're, if anything, they should be three. Four is where I have the problem again. Four is Belgium. 
why is Belgium there? We talked about that before the World Cup, why I was stupid they were ranked first or second. And they're now after the World Cup, where they get dumped out of the group stage with a group with no offense, Croatia, Morocco, and Canada. For the team that's ranked first or second in the world, I'm sorry you should not have problems advancing out of that group. And you should beat Canada by more than one goal, really. And Canada had chances in that game as well. But Belgium, why are they four? They should never have been one. Like going into the tournament, we talked about this. About me not really getting the hype around Belgium. We thought they'd win the group. Thought they'd get bounced in the first round of the plot of the knockout stage. Uh, Belgium's not a good team. They're old as hell, and there's not a lot of good team chemistry going on right now. They literally had infighting during the tournament. Kevin De Bruyne said they're too old to win it, and Jan Vertonghen coming out and saying what we're too old to score goals in this tournament or something like that. Why are they in the top ten? And then we got England five, Netherlands six, Croatia seven. I don't really have a problem with any of those being the top ten. Uh, then Italy. Italy's a strange one because, um, correct me if I'm wrong, they have missed the last two FIFA World Cups. I understand they won the Euros and hold the record for the longest win streak, or longest um, non-loss streak, I guess you could say, in international football history, but they didn't make two back-to-back World Cups. Back-to-back FIFA World Cups, they did not make it. How are they eighth? I'm talking about Belgium being ranked fourth after they get knocked out in the group stage, well, hell, Italy didn't have a group to get knocked out of because they didn't make the World Cup. How does that make any sense? And then nine, we got Portugal, 10, Spain. Okay, fine. 11, Morocco. I mean, yeah, they made the World Cup semifinals. They came fourth. Oh, yeah, Croatia beat Morocco in the third place final, which I've always never really been a massive fan of. But you know what? It's cool that they, they won that. It would have been really cool if Morocco won, but I love that Luka Modric got a third-place medal. So Croatia has been in six World Cups. They've finished top three three times. That's damn impressive. It's very damn impressive. Luka Modric, 37. With how he plays, I couldn't. I wouldn't be really surprised if he tried to play for another World Cup. Messi said he's going to play another World Cup, at least attempt to. Luka Modric, he's never been one that's been... I don't know. It's kind of like Tom Brady or something like that. He's never really been built off of physical attributes. So he can manage to play the way he does at 41 years old when the next World Cup or 40, because I don't know when his birthday is comparatively to when the next World Cup comes around. But uh, Morocco 11, Switzerland 12, uh, losing 6-1 to, to Portugal, and they're only three spots behind them is kind of odd. Uh, then the United States at 13, which I think I think's fair. I think the United States are a top 15 team in the world right now. But then Germany, 14. Again, a team that lost in their group. Back-to-back World Cups where they've been eliminated in the group. How are they in the top 15? They didn't make the top 16 at this World Cup, and yet we have three teams, three teams in the top 15 that didn't even make the top, or four, four, because Mexico were in 15th. Out of the top 15 teams, four of them didn't make the top 16 in the 2022 World Cup, and one of those teams didn't even make the World Cup. How does that make any sense whatsoever? Someone please try to explain that to me. And then Uruguay. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> that one of the most boring teams in the World Cup this year. And then Colombia. I mean, do we need to keep going down this route? Didn't make the World Cup. So how are they above teams that not only made the World Cup, 
but won their group, like Japan sitting at 20? Japan won a group. Won their group against two teams that are above them in the standings right now in the FIFA World Rankings. That's Spain and Germany. Japan finished above them in the FIFA World Cup in their group. And then now we're saying, I, I, uh, or was that the group Japan finished top of? Hold on. I could have get I could be getting my groups mixed around. I'm trying to do this off the top of my head, so I'm I'm hold on. Give me a couple seconds. Trying to get there, trying to get there. Yeah, okay. It was Japan. And then Senegal 19, Denmark 18. Denmark 18. I mean, I like Denmark. They scored one point in this group. And they had a group with Tunisia and Australia. Tunisia and Australia. And and Denmark can't win. They were a dark horse in the tournament. Ah, whatever. And then Peru 21. Again, didn't make the World Cup. And if that if that's not Peru's flag, I'm I apologize. I believe it's Peru's flag. Uh Poland at twenty-two. I mean, fine. But if you want like they they finished second in their group. Denmark didn't even make the knockout stage. Denmark again scored one point in this group. Poland made the knockout stage. How are they four spots behind them? Then Sweden didn't make the World Cup. Love Sweden, didn't make the World Cup. Iran at twenty-four, South Korea twenty-five, Ukraine twenty-six, didn't make the World Cup. Australia finished second in their group, beat Denmark, uh, finished with six points, uh, then Wales at 28, Tunisia at 29, Serbia 30, Chile 31, Costa Rica 22. Oh, yeah, Chile didn't make the World Cup either. It's just uh, important there. Then Cameroon 33, Austria, I don't know why I said it like that, Austria 34, Nigeria 35, didn't make the World Cup, Russia 36, uh, was that sanction-based why they didn't make the World Cup? I don't remember. I don't really remember around that one. Hungary, 37. Algeria, 38. Czech Republic, 39. And then Egypt at 40. Call that knowledge, because I'm not even looking at the names. I'm just going off what their flags look like. Hopefully I didn't get any of those wrong. And I'm not saying like every team that made the World Cup is automatically better than every team that missed out on the World Cup. I'm not saying that, because there's obviously different qualifying regions and stuff like that. But the fact that we have four teams in the top 15 that didn't qualify to their group, and the one of them uh, not even making the World Cup is odd to me. Uh, especially being about Portugal for Italy. Portugal made the quarterfinals and lost to, to Morocco. So how is Portugal at nine? And Italy's at eight. And then by the same breath, how is Morocco not at least in the top 10? How is Belgium four? Like, I don't get a lot of these rankings. <laughs> like Japan won their group and are ranked 20th and are two spots behind a team that finished their tournament with one point in a group with Tunisia and Australia. Again, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. United States lost one game of the tournament and lost 3-1. Switzerland lost, what, one game of the tournament as well? How many games did Switzerland lose in the tournament? They lost two games. And their one, the one of their losses was 6-1. And they're above the United States. Like, the United States being at 13 is cool, but the United States should be higher than Switzerland. I'm not saying they're better than Italy, but they should definitely be higher than Switzerland. The United States lost one game in the tournament. One game. Outplayed England. The midfield three of McKinney, Adams, and Musa outplayed a midfield three of Bellingham, Rice, and Mount, who are... Ten times their value in regards to the transfer market. 
And the United States sits 13 behind a team that lost 6-1 to Portugal without the quote-unquote GOAT playing. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. FIFA World Rankings have always been a mess. Don't make any sense. Never have made sense. Uh, they will continue to not make sense. And, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But, yeah, Morocco, I think, should be in the top 10. Belgium shouldn't even be in the top 10 anymore. I'm, I'm getting sick and tired of seeing them in the top five, let alone top 10. Italy hasn't made the past two World Cups. I know they won the Euros. I know they won the Euros, but come on. They have not made two straight World Cups. Since they won in 2006, they haven't qualified out of the group stage. And not to mention, again, they haven't made it out or into the World Cup in 2018 and 2022. And they're still eighth. What is what? Okay, what are their best finishes since 2006 when they won on penalties against France? So obviously in 2018, they didn't make it. 2014, where what, they were in a group with England, Costa Rica, Uruguay, and um, Italy. And, uh, I'm for, I don't know why I said that, but Italy came third in that group, lost to Costa Rica, and lost to Uruguay, and then in 2010, what group? I don't even remember what group they were in in 2010. Hold on. They were in a group with Paraguay, Slovakia, and New Zealand and came away with two points. Let's just put it like this. Those three teams, or every team in Group F, I guess I should say, has not did not make the World Cup this year. And also, I would like to add this in, I'm pretty sure those four teams, or the three teams above Italy, did not make the 2014 World Cup, 2018, or 2017, or 2022. And Italy, somehow, after the past four World Cups, has come away with Five points. Their best finish being third since they won in 2006 are still ranked eighth in the FIFA World Rankings. I don't understand. I do not. I, th- I believe they won the second most World Cup titles ever, but come on. That, that, that's ridiculous. That's actually ridiculous that they're still in the top 10. And above Portugal and Morocco. <laughs> uh, if I had to rank the top 10. Going off the World Cup, I mean, how could you not have Argentina and France be one and two? I don't understand how you can't have those guys there. I'll keep Brazil. I'll have Brazil at three. At four, I will have... Uh, who do I want at four? Croatia. I think Croatia would go in at four. I mean, three. They've been to six World Cups. They've come to the top three three times. I think they have to be top four. Uh, top at uh, Number five... Uh, we'll keep England there at number five. Six, we'll keep the Netherlands there, I guess. Seven, uh, we'll put Morocco there at seven. Eight, Portugal. Nine, uh, Spain. They work at nine. And then at ten, who do we want at number ten? <laughs> United States, just for fun. Just for fun. I, I can't really think of anybody else I want at number 10, so we're going to put the United States. <laughs> uh, but that's probably how I'd rank the, the FIFA World Rankings right now, if I had to rank them just off of potential. Because it's hard to, like, on potential, England should be high. But 
yeah, they could have made it farther. I know a lot of English fans were complaining about the refs in that game, and fair, some are fair calls in that game. They missed a few penalties, but Harry Kane missed a penalty. Guy who never misses penalties missed a penalty. Not great. And, uh, yeah, so that would probably be my top ten just spitballing right here. Again, I don't know how Belgium's in the top five, let alone top ten, and I don't understand how Italy missing the last two World Cups despite winning the Euros is at number eight behind a team that made it to the World Cup semifinals in, uh, and finished fourth in Morocco, which is better than every single Italy fine, every single of Italy's finishes since 2006. And they're at 11, and Italy's sitting there at 8. Don't know how that works. Don't know how that works. Actually, you know what? We'll move Portugal above the Netherlands. I, I think no, Portugal's squad's better than the Netherlands squad. So I'll have them at 6, Netherlands at 7, and then Morocco at 8, and then Spain 9, and then uh, United States at 10. <laughs> Oh my goodness. And I wanted to start off with that first because we're going to talk a, a decent amount about football, uh, American football on this show today. And uh, yeah, for this weekend, we were in Buffalo. We were in Buffalo, New York. We went to watch the Buffalo Bills take on the Miami Dolphins, which the Bills, of course, won. Uh, we guaranteed that the Bills would win back when the Bills lost the Dolphins week three, when they lost 21 and 19. Guaranteed the Bills would win. Uh, I think I said they'd win by 14 points at that time, and I was really excited <laughs> because it was exactly how I wanted it to be. The two extremes from both climates happened. The Bills sat in 120-degree heat down in Miami, and then the Dolphins got treated to 8 degrees and wind and snow. Now, the snow did not come until the fourth quarter, and it did – I'm, I'm, I'm catching myself here – but it, <laughs> it came down pretty hard came down pretty hard if you have a if you have a, a sense of humor you'd understand what kind of thing I was thinking about right <laughs> but um the flakes were massive the flakes were like a, a quarter size like they were huge flakes and it was really funny in this game so again the bills won 32 to 29 uh the bills probably should have won by more but they came out of the second half very very flat-footed uh, they allowed the middle of the defense to be wide-ass open so the Dolphins killed them on that but again I've said this before if the Dolphins drafted Herbert I don't know how their offense would be looking right now. There were times in this game where the Dolphins would settle for field goals on drives where Tua would throw the ball down the sideline and underthrow a receiver and make them come back to get the ball. There was a play, I don't remember what quarter it was, but Jalen uh, Jalen Waddell burnt Tredavious White down the sideline, had about two, three yards of separation on him, and Tua underthrew him. Justin Herbert makes that throw, and Jalen Waddell's walking into the end zone. I'm sorry. Even on Jalen Waddell's touchdown, the throw wasn't great, and that was a crossing route. And he was wide-ass open there, too. But Jalen Waddell is the first or second fastest player in the NFL, so he was able to separate himself from the rest of the Bills defenders because the Bills just don't have that speed on any level of this roster, let alone on the defensive side of things. Now, what was funny in this game was the snowball stuff. And I don't know what the, the broadcast was like in regards to what you could hear from the referees and what the, the PA announcer was saying in the game about how there'd be a 15-yard penalty enforced on the Buffalo Bills if – snowballs hit a player or something but I need to double check this I need to double check this because I thought I saw something about this rule okay uh there's no rule that addresses penalties being assessed to a team based on fan on their fans actions ESPN's officiating analyst John Perry told the Buffalo News I thought that was weird at the time because let's say the snowballs came in fast and furious throughout the rest of the game and they hit a player and they throw the flag and penalize the bills but it was a dolphins fan that threw the snowball like what would stopping dolphins fans from hurling snowballs onto the field 
How are you going to tell that that was a Bills fan or a Dolphins fan that threw the snowball? Because you're not eyeballing fans the entire time and going like, okay, which one of you dickheads is going to throw a snowball next? You're not doing that. So how can you and how can you enforce a penalty? I understand it was more probably more scare tactic than anything. So people are going to be like, oh god, we have to start throwing snowballs because we're going to get a 15-yard penalty. That's not a rule. It's not a thing you can enforce. And it's not a thing that can happen. So they threatened it, never called it. The PA announcer said something about seven or eight times throughout the game. And the snowballs finally stopped, ironically, when Josh Allen told the crowd to stop. And I've never heard this in a game my entire life. The PA announcer went on and said, Guys, listen to Josh Allen. They're (laughs) going to get a penalty, so stop doing this. It's like, I've never heard the PA announcer address a specific player while the game was going on about a possible penalty. I've never heard that in my entire life. I thought that was hilarious. And you could tell it was going to be mayhem at the start of the game because people in the 300s level, which was right above us, were hucking snowballs everywhere. Like, there was a time the Dolphins had three wide receivers down to the far side of the field, or the, my, by the Dolphins' side. Because I was on the near side. It was my near side, but the camera's far side. And people were just hucking snowballs at the three wide receivers. It was hilarious. And there was one point, there was a Dolphins fan, before the game started, where he was just sitting there, mind his own business. Bald dude, no hat. No, no jacket, just a sweatshirt and a, I think it was a, um, wow, Zach Thomas jersey. I think it was a Zach Thomas jersey, I couldn't tell. But uh, people from 300 just pushed a huge thing of snow down and covered this dude. Absolutely covered this dude. And every time the Bills scored, you could kind of see it on TV. Snow was flying through the air, snow was everywhere, snowballs were flying, and people from 300 level were just pushing snow down. See, I, we were getting covered in snow because we were... We were on, like, I don't know, a few sections. Like, there was just a tiny bit of Section 300 over us. So we, got, so we would still get hit with the snow. I never got hit with an individual snowball, but I got hit with piles of snow throughout the course of the game after Bills would score touchdowns. We scored 32 points. It happens quite a bit, especially when the last points come and your team officially makes the playoffs. So, yeah, there's a lot of celebratory things going on there. But... Yeah, the snowball thing was just hilarious. I enjoyed that a bunch. One of the most fun atmospheres I've ever been at in a game ever <laughs> just because it was so chaotic. It was, it was so chaotic. Now, the game wasn't as dominant for the Bills as I thought. The Bills, especially early, Raheem Moster was killing them. On first down, the Bills were just allowing monstrous run after monstrous run with Raheem, Raheem Moster. He had 136 yards in this game. And for the most part, Jalen Waddle was shut down apart from the ball that on the crossing route where he scored the touchdown. Like, he didn't, Trey White locked him up, and it was it, it was weird, because early on in the game, I can't remember if they did this the entire time, Trey White was shadowing Tyree, um, uh, Jalen Waddle, and then you had Kyrie Elam and Dane Jackson shadowing uh, Tyreek Hill, which is odd, which is very odd, but it ended up working out for him, and Kyrie Elam, this should be the game where he finally cements himself as a starting cornerback, because the coaches love Dane Jackson. They love Dane Jackson. I don't understand why at this point. Like, early on in the year, yeah, he was fine. But you drafted Kyrie Elam in the first round for a reason. Because you had questions over Dane Jackson. Dane Jackson wasn't playing at, like, a Pro Bowl level at the time. So it was like, oh, I get under- I understand easing Elam into it, but you got to let him go at some point, especially when Dane Jackson is not playing well. And then you bring in Xavier Rhodes, and then Kyrie Elam's a healthy scratch last week. You bring Kyrie, uh, Xavier Rhodes and uh, Dane Jackson, like, or two weeks ago, because Dane Jackson played 100 percent of the snaps. Kyrie Elam wasn't a tr- or just wasn't a scratch, 
but didn't play a whole lot. So, like, this goes back to what we've talked about before with the Buffalo Bills in regards to James Cook about, like, babying rookies into the lineup. And it's not something they normally do. I don't know what it is with these past couple drafts, but they baby these guys into the team. Like, Josh Allen came in in his second game. More uh, forced to come in rather than, okay, we're going to let him play now. Jermaine Edmonds started right away. Trey White started right away. But, like, Rousseau didn't start right away. A.J. Epineza didn't start right away. He was the first Bills draft pick in um, 2020. Who was 2019? 2019 first-round draft pick was... We just did this the other day. Who the hell was the 2019 first-round draft pick? Nobody on offense. Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver wasn't rushed in right away. Ed Oliver wasn't in right away. Epineza wasn't in right away. Rousseau wasn't in right away. Elam, Cook, like all these guys post-Allen and Edmonds have been eased in the starting line. And even like Tremaine Johnson, or Tremaine, Tr- Taron Johnson, who in the 2018 draft class for the Buffalo Bills has to go down one of the greatest, if not the greatest draft class for Buffalo Bills in their history. Like just the first three picks. Allen, Edmonds, and Johnson, all key players in this team, and arguably three of the top players on this team. Not the three best players. Josh Allen's one of the three best players, but Edmonds and Johnson are both top 15 players in this roster. Maybe even top 10. Like they're both very, very good players. Both are Tremaine, both are gonna need contracts here soon. So this is what we've talked about, like Poyer not getting ex- possibly not getting extended because they're gonna have to probably decide between Tremaine Edmonds and Jordan Poyer. I'm I'm guessing they'll lead through Tremaine Edmonds, though Poyer is insanely important to this roster. They're undefeated when Jordan Poyer's played this season. Like Jordan Poyer is one of the best players on this team for good reason. And it was funny because before the game started. So this is my my sister's first time ever in Buffalo. First time ever in Buffalo. And we go down, and she's like, oh, I want to go down. We get to our seats. We find our seats, and she's like, I want to go down to the gate, or the the gate, the fence, or whatever you want to call it. I want to go down the first row and watch warm-up. She's like, okay, we found our seats. Now we just move up. We'll go see what happens up there. And we go up there. We're sitting there watching. My sister and I are leaning on the, the wall. And the players run out of the tunnel. And then they come over and stretch and do all that stuff, and Jordan Poyer runs over. And starts playing catch with the people on the wall. And Jordan, and Jordan Poyer, he has a red visor on. And he looks directly in our area. And I'm like, oh my god, is he actually going to throw us the ball? And Jordan Poyer is my sister's probably second favorite player on the team behind Josh Allen. And I'm sitting there, I was like, I could be an absolute dick ass and take the ball right now. But Poyer was definitely not throwing to me. I tell my friends this all the time. We've reached the stage now as a, as adults where we do not get anything anymore. If a ball comes to us, we have to give it to a kid. Or if a player is throwing a football with us, we have to give it to the girl or kid. I, you're not going to be able to do anything anymore. It's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I did not need to live with my sister if I stole that ball away from her. And <laughs> her second favorite player just threw the ball at her. And I took the ball away from her. No, so Jordan Poyer threw her the ball. She had a little mini panic attack. She caught the ball. She's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God, Jordan Poyer, throw me the ball. And we're like, throw it back. Throw it back. And she actually threw a pretty decent ball back. But <laughs> it was really – and she was like, why did you guys record me? Why? <laughs> it was really – I never expected that to happen, especially with it being Jordan Poyer. I, that was the craziest thing ever that that happened. Like it was, it was really, really funny. And then Shaq Lawson, who was a D lineman on the Bills, D end, former first round draft pick. If you listen to Friday Show, and he came around to high five. So we high five Shaq Lawson, and it was, it was a really cool experience. It was really cool. Like I was like, oh my god, she just played catch with Jordan Poyer. 
Oh my god. <laughs> that was my reaction. I didn't even think about recording anything. Never once thought about recording anything. And it was like, oh my god, she just caught the ball from Jordan Poyer. All pro Poyer. Mr. Undefeated when the when he plays for the Bills this season. One of the most important players on this roster. But it's a shame again that the Bills are probably going to decide between him and Tremaine Edmonds for who gets the next big contract for the Bills. Especially with Jordan Poyer being about 30 years old and Tremaine Edmonds being, I think, 23. So I think they're they're probably going to lean towards Edmonds in regards to the contract situation. I would imagine. I'm not saying that's factual. Or that's what's going to happen. But that's kind of what it feels like just watching the team and watching the, the Bills have operated around these certain things. But, yeah, it was an awesome, awesome game. Awesome experience. Snowballs were awesome. Bills won. Uh, Josh Allen went Super Saiyan at the last drive of the game. He had multiple play Like, when Josh Allen's playing Hero Bowl, and it doesn't really work out for a lot of people, and sometimes it hurts the Bills, but when Josh Allen is playing like he did on that last drive in certain moments throughout the game, the last touchdown of the first half, which I didn't even realize was the last play of the half until they scored, and then they were all running the locker room. Like, I got it on video. I've got that touchdown on video because I was trying – what I was trying to do was get a video of the the snowballs flying around, because I wanted because that was really cool. I wanted to get a video of snowballs flying around, and um, I ended up getting the Bills' best touchdown of the game. <laughs> but we're we're the opposite end of the field, so it's, it's very tiny. But you can I can zoom in and see it all, and it's really cool. And yeah, was there anything else that was really? Could Josh Allen hurt jumping over the line to score the two point conversion? Um, his big run down the sideline. Once he the quarterback draw, I thought all the running backs played pretty well in this game. Naheem Hines got his first touchdown as a bill. Uh, Dawson Knox scored. Uh, James Cook obviously was the one that caught the touchdown from Josh on the the runaround play that he, <laughs> that we got on video. But yeah, it was a it was a fun game. Really, really. Quentin Morris got his first touchdown as a Buffalo Bill. First touchdown in the NFL. Great catch by him. And yeah, just a really really fun game. And I'm glad the Bills won. <laughs> and then we've got uh, the games before. We had the Vikings come back from 33 points down to beat the Colts. The biggest comeback in NFL history, surpassing the Buffalo Bills beating the Houston Oilers in the playoffs, coming back from 32 points down. Now, I know this one's the biggest the biggest comeback of all time, but I still think the Bills one's more impressive given the circumstances. Playoffs, backup quarterback. Like, the Vikings were playing a team that's not very good with an interim head coach. So it's the fact that coming back, I'm not taking anything away. It was impressive. Very, very impressive stuff. But the Bills one's more impressive, just given the, the circumstance of it. I don't want to belittle the Vikings um, thing and everything. They clinched the playoffs with that thing. 33-point comeback to clinch the playoffs is about as good as it gets, or about a great feeling as it gets. The two complete opposite feelings, I would imagine, because I wasn't alive for the the 32-point Bills comeback. My dad tells me that they were over at Nana and Papa's house, and my dad was like, oh, they're second-half team, Brad. Or probably Bradley. I don't know. They're second-half team. You have faith. Gotta have faith. And they came back and won. And then the just uh, the the dunce of the, the Saturday games, we had the Browns and Ravens, 13-3. Boring-ass game. D- don't care about anything that happened in that game. And, uh, yeah. Good, the belt, let's say about that one the better. I guess we could talk about the Seahawks beat, losing the Niners. Legend of Brock Purdy grows. And I the thing about this game that was really fun, other than the fact the 49ers won, was them bringing out George Kittle with Brock Purdy to talk after the game was over. I thought it was awesome. That was really awesome. The fact that George Kittle and Brock Purdy, two Iowa guys, not obviously not from Iowa, but going to school at the University of Iowa, George Kittle has connections with Iowa even before. I think he, I don't think he's born in Iowa, but he 
obviously was at Iowa. I think they're two legends in the <laughs> their two stories in the NFL and college are two completely different ones. Brock Purdy's the greatest ever quarterback in Iowa State history. George Kittle's another tight end at Iowa. But now George Kittle's one of the, if not the best tight end of the NFL right now, at least the most entertaining one. And now him and Purdy are sitting on the the, the podium and they're talking about how Purdy never beat the Hawkeyes. And then they got a Purdy goes go cyclones and George Kittle goes go Hawks right after. Gotta get the last word in. Gotta get the last word in. And George Kittle did that, if I remember correctly. But it was just really cool. And I think if you're an Iowa fan that hates Brock Purdy in the NFL, or if you hate George Kittle, if you're an Iowa State fan, screw you. That's all I'm pretty much going to say. And if you're an Iowa fan, I don't even understand. Apart from him going to Iowa State, you really have no reason to hate Brock Purdy because he never beat Iowa. So it's not even like you have like, oh, I, like it'd be different George Kittle or uh, George Kittle, uh, George Niang. It's a different story with that. But Brock Purdy is a like very, very likable dude, very down-to-earth guy, and never beat Iowa. And now he's having a lot of success in the NFL. And Kyle Shanahan's complimented him, saying he's the most poised rookie he's ever been with. Fred Warner talking about he wasn't surprised that Brock Purdy's balling out because he practices against the best defense every week as a scout team quarterback. Like he just does, The thing about Brock Purdy that's impressive is that, yeah, he looks extremely poised. He looks super poised. And it's going to be interesting, again, because Jimmy G's not out for the year. It's going to be interesting what happens when Jimmy Garoppolo comes back. And then we try to figure out who Kyle Shanahan is going to start. And not even to mention what we've already talked about last year, or last year, uh, last week, about who's going to start next year between Purdy and Lance. Now, this could be some insane insanity run where Purdy has a few good weeks and then crashes back down to earth, or like a Mike White run from last year or whatever. Or it could be long-term success. And we see Brock Purdy become this amazing quarterback right in front of our eyes. And his, two win- his three first three games in the NFL – from getting drafted the last pick of the draft to being the backup to the guy who they traded a shitload of picks to get and Trey Lance jumped up third overall to take, and Jimmy Garoppolo has been there for a few years and is comfortable with the system, to going from not no, not playing and not even expecting to play at all to getting three wins against the Dolphins, though it was in reserve, or coming in after Jimmy G got hurt, still played really well at the second half of that game, and then Tom Brady 35-7, and then going to Seattle and winning in front of the twelve. That's about as awesome as you can to start a career when you weren't even expecting to do anything at the NFL level, let alone in your first year against some damn good teams. Are not like not like ridiculously good, but solid teams that when you're a seventh round quarterback, Mr. Relevant, and a rookie, you're not expected to beat, especially in Seattle. But man, played well. McCaffrey's playing like his nuts are on fire which is awesome to see that he's back and fully healthy and being an instrumental part in an offense again. George Kittle played great in this game as well. It was just fun. It was a fun game. And then moving back to Sunday, uh, we had some really not exciting games on Sunday. <laughs> I mean, we had some exciting finishes, but overall, the, the Sunday slate was not very fun. Uh, we had the Eagles and Bears. Jalen Hurts got hurt in this game, threw two interceptions. Got three rushing touchdowns on this game. Justin Fields at 95 yards, so he's now he has reached the 1,000-yard marker. The third quarterback in NFL history reached 1,000 yards, so congratulations to Justin Fields. Congratulations to him. And, yeah, we'll see what he does next year once the Bears start actually building around him. They're sound, sounding like they're excited for next year. Excited like they – sounds like they've got some pieces in place that they're going to make some moves and stuff like that, so excited to see where that goes. Uh, we have the Falcons and the Saints. Desmond Ritter got his first start. Didn't really do a whole lot in this game. 
97 yards passing, no touchdowns, no picks, 13 of 26. Uh, had 38 yards on the ground as well. Another rookie, Tyler Allgaier, ran for 139 yards and a touchdown in this game. Another rookie in Drake London, <laughs> seven receptions for 70 yards in this game. And did uh, did a rookie get a sack <laughs> in this game? Uh, D'Angelo Malone did not, but he got a tackle for loss. Arnold Bicchetti did not get a tackle for loss or a sack. So, But yeah, the Saints, Falcons, Saints win 21-18. And then we have Lions Jets, Zach Wilson back in the fray. Lions win 20 to 17 final there. And the Lions since losing to the Bills, which the Bills got made fun of for almost losing the Lions. The Bills own the Lions only lost in the last 7 games is to the Buffalo Bills. They've won 6 of their last 7 and are in the race for a playoff berth. And the Bills almost got were getting made fun of that they only beat the Lions how they did with no practice and getting playing back-to-back games in Detroit, which they're going to might maybe play a third game in Detroit this year because there's going to be some insane blizzard in Chicago and they're going to have like negative 11 degree wind chill there. So they might be playing in Detroit again. Uh, then we got Steelers Panthers, which no one even, I don't, I barely remember the Steelers are even a team anymore. Uh, 24 16 final Jaguars ja- Cowboys. Oh my God. <laughs> 34 to 40. OT loss, pick six thrown by Dak Prescott. Trevor Lawrence looks awesome. Trevor Lawrence looks really, really good. 318 yards, four touchdowns in this game against the Cowboys. One interception. I think in his last however many games, he got 14 touchdowns and one interception. Like, he looks really, really good. And I'm excited that he's finally looking good. And, like, man, how bad was Urban Meyer? Like, they just keep the, the tail of Urban Meyer just keeps getting worse and worse. And the Cowboys, how, you lose that game and still make the playoffs. Don't know how that works. Uh, the Chiefs and Texans. Overtime to the against the one-win Texans. And people are talking about how Mahomes... I don't. Mahomes played well in this game. I'm not taking anything away from him the entire game. It was against the Texans. Where's the, where's the energy that you had when the Bills barely beat the Lions? Who are now a playoff team. Not a team that's 1-12-1. Where's the energy with that? Josh Allen got slated for how he played. In the, or would get slated... If the Bills beat the Texans by six points in a game where they are favored. What was the line in this game? What was the line in this game? By 14? And you win in overtime because Davis Mills fumbled and you got great field position? And you're celebrating like you just beat the freaking, I don't know, the Philadelphia Eagles or something or the Bills? Like, what are you, do- what are you doing? Let's calm down. You beat the freaking Texans. Let's chill the, let's chill the F out here, guys. Hey, the Bills did this, no one would bat an eye. Instead, we'd be talking about how, man, the Bills are just a really bad team now. Are the Bills really that good now? And instead, we're talking about, man, what a great performance from the Kansas City Chiefs. You see how they celebrated after beating the one-win Texans? Acting like they won the freaking Super Bowl. Oh, man, get to more exciting games. Brett Ribbon versus Trace, Re- Trace McSwirly after Colt McCoy got concussed. Uh, Cardinals-Broncos. We had the Raiders-Patriots, one of the funniest endings of all time. The hook and ladder failed to tremendous fashion. Jacoby Myers tried to throw it back to Mac Jones, which in hindsight, what the hell is Mac Jones going to do, regardless if he catches the ball or not? Where the hell is Mac Jones going to go with that? Chandler Jones picked, picked it off. Stiff arm Mac Jones with the hell, returned it for a touchdown, avoiding overtime. And what's funny about that game, we were going to a rest stop. We heard them run the ball with Ramondre Stevenson, and then we shot off the truck. We went inside to go to the back because we didn't care about the game. It's Patriots Raiders. Who the hell cares? 
But we get back to the car, Raiders win, I go on Twitter, and then that's how they win. Like, a, a second after we shot off the car, that all happened. A second. <laughs> Maybe less than that. That all happened. Then we had the Bengals and Bucks. Uh, Bengals win 34-23. to Bengals come back from 17 points down. Brady... First time he's the a Brady team has given up 17 points after has uh, what is what was it uh, has come, allowed a team to come back from a 17 point deficit and the first time Tom Brady's team has lost eight games in a season and he ended his marriage for this <laughs> dude hang it up it's done uh, we had the Chargers beating the Titans 17 14 boring ass game. I mean, that's what you get with the Titans. And then you got the Giants and Commanders. Weird-ass game, that one, with the weird calls, penalty calls, weird non-calls. I don't know, weird. Uh, Giants win 20-12. to And then the Packers beat the Rams 24-12. to uh, Somewhat exciting game. Somewhat exciting game. I mean, it's not, nothing like crazy. It's just a fine game. I mean, before the season started, this was a lot more hype than what it is. But now the Packers are still alive in the playoff race. Because the NFC, you look at the NFC standings, well, the NFC is a freaking joke. You take out the NFC East, the rest of the divisions, the NFC North, South, and West, there are two teams with winning records. Two teams. That's the Vikings and Niners. If you take away the NFC East, two teams in the NFC, NFC have winning records. Like the Lions are 7-7, seven and seven, the Bucks are 6-8, and eight, the Seahawks are 7-7, seven and seven, the Bears, Cardinals, and Rams are already eliminated from playoff, the playoffs right now. <laughs> Oh my god. Like the AFC, there are almost two there's two teams per division and three of the divisions that have winning records. And then we got the AFC South, which we have known is a terrible ass division for time now. <laughs> Man, the AFC the NFC stinks. NFC absolutely reeks. But hey, we'll see what happens with the Eagles this week, because apparently Jalen Hurts got a uh he's got a was his shoulder injury? What is it? Coach not ruling out hurts. What did he hurt? I, I didn't even see what he. Well, what? Why is nothing popping up with shoulder? A oh, sprained shoulder. There it is. It was a shoulder injury. So now they got Gardner Minshew possibly coming in to play this game. Ian Book is the third string quarterback in this game. God forbid Gardner Minshew gets hurt. But man, you had Reed Sinnott on the roster. And you cut Reed Sinnott, the greatest high school quarterback of all time. And now we're sitting here like, man, now Jalen Hurts gets hurt. How convenient. But man, with Jalen Hurts getting hurt, does that possibly affect his MVP status? I don't think so. I don't really think so. Depends how long he sits out, I guess. If he sits out for two weeks, then yeah, I would think so. Because people start pulling away with their with the numbers and stuff like that. And we'll see if, if the Eagles keep winning without Jalen Hurts, then they'll get in the voters' minds like, oh, how important or how valuable is Jalen Hurts to the Philadelphia Eagles? And I think Jalen Hurts is valuable to the Eagles. But that being said, if we're talking about the most valuable player on a team, it's going to sound biased, and it is. Josh Allen's more valuable to the Bills than Hurts is to the Eagles and Mahomes is to the Chiefs. I said that. I said it. I think they're both important. Like, I'm not taking anything away from Mahomes being one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. It's not the best quarterback in the NFL. But the Chiefs were a playoff team without Mahomes. The Bills had Kelvin Benjamin. Like, they had Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. They had some pe- They had the pieces there. Andy Reid was still there. Bills made the playoffs for the first time in 18 years with Tyrod Taylor. And then Josh Allen comes in, 
and you've got the worst off the line in football, and Kelvin Benjamin is your number one wide receiver. Zay Jones and Robert Foster, Charles Clay, and aging LaShawn McCoy. Like, you can take Mahomes out, and it's obviously going to be somewhat of a downturn because he's not Patrick Mahomes, but they can still win. You take Josh Allen of the Bills, no quarterback in the NFL is doing what Josh Allen did against the Dolphins in regards to bombing it down the field and then running for 77 yards like he did and playing in those conditions, not to mention. And Josh Allen slam dunked on you losers that want a dome in Buffalo. He said that's a pretty soft take. Yeah, it is. It is soft. We've said that before. But you want to talk about most valuable. Josh Allen's most valuable to his team in the entire NFL. I don't even even think that is is biased, but I don't think it's like I'm only saying it because I'm a Bills fan. No. I think that's 100% true. Jalen Hurts is very valuable to the Philadelphia Eagles. But with them being a run-first offense, his margin for error is a lot wider than Josh Allen's and Patrick Mahomes. Like, Josh Allen is the Bills offense. Without Josh Allen, like, like you take away Stephon Diggs, who do the Bills have on offense? The Bills have one weapon. No semblance of a running game. And not very so- a decent offensive line. You got two very a decent offensive linemen in Morse and in uh, Dawkins, which Morse could be retiring. He just got his eighth con- or sixth concussion, and that was my number six concussions. Like when the Bills signed him, Morse got a potential concussion in his first practice. He almost had to retire then. Let alone what might happen now with him getting his sixth concussion. So we'll see what happens there. But I think Josh Allen's the most valuable player in the league. That doesn't mean he's going to win the award. That does not mean he's going to win the award. I think the top three is still Hurts, Allen, and Mahomes in no particular order. But I think, like, Burrow's definitely up there. I think you have to include Justin Jefferson up there, even though receivers and running back – it's quarterback – MVP is quarterback award. Offensive player of the year is the everybody else award, running backs, receivers, and stuff like that. So Jefferson will win the offensive player of the year. Hill will be up there as well. Who else is, who else is going to be mentioned in the MVP race? I think those are probably it. At this point. So what? In in no real order, Allen, Mahomes, Hurts, Jefferson, Burrow? Is that what we're looking at for MVP? Could be wrong. Offensive player of the year, obviously, got like Jeff Jefferson, uh, Tyreek Hill. Um, Josh Jacobs should be mentioned up there, though he was kind of held somewhat in check this past weekend. Nick Chubb will probably be mentioned up there. Saquon. Yeah, uh, Justin Herbert will definitely be mentioned in there, the MVP race. I guess I, did, I kind of forgot about Herbert, but that's probably what we're looking at for the MVP race at this point in time. I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, that's, that is how it is. That's how it's going to finish. Josh Allen should win the MVP. Like, guaranteed. Everybody, If anybody else wins it, the award is fraudulent and whatever. I don't care. I think Josh Allen is the most valuable player on his team to his team. You take any other quarterback out, the drop-off's not as significant as it would be with the Buffalo Bills and the drop-off of Josh Allen got hurt, God forbid, or knock, knock on wood, of course, or was on another roster. The Bill, Josh Allen is the Bills. Josh Allen is the system for Buffalo. The Chiefs had – I'm not saying Mahomes is a system quarterback because I think system quarterback is one of the dumbest phrases in all the NFL. But Mahomes, the system was in place before Mahomes got there. So I don't know I just say – I just I say – no, I'm 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 being I'm joking, but Mahomes is a top two quarterback in the NFL. I think John. I mean, I think Mahomes and Allen are the best two quarterbacks in the NFL, regardless if they win the award or not. I think those are the two best quarterbacks in the, in the NFL. 
Order whatever you want. I don't really care. But those are the two best quarterbacks in the NFL. And then Hurts is definitely up there. Burrow, Herbert. I think those are your top five at this point. Tua will probably be mentioned up there, even though Tua is um, nothing really that special. I think he's fine. He's definitely a starter in the NFL, but he's not anything particularly special. He hits crossing routes pretty decently sometimes. Other times it's extremely underthrown. But you know what? Hey, he sometimes hit them in the best receiver, the fast receiver in the NFL. Surprisingly, eat up a lot of yards after catch. So, I don't know. I don't know. We're just having fun here. But we talked about this on Friday while we're on the top of NFL transitioning over to college. Uh, We had the mock draft come out on Friday. We changed it up a little bit as expected because I didn't really like it when we talked about it on Friday. So, we're going to do it again. Not not all in depth because we some of the picks are the same, but going one through three two is trying to be fast. Uh, one Houston Will Levis, uh, and people it was kind of funny speaking of Will Levis, uh, the people on Twitter watched Josh Allen play and they're like, oh, who will Josh Allen's going to make a lot of bad quarterbacks a lot of money, like in regards to his ceiling, his talent, like his athletic abilities, arm strength, how big he is, and Will Levis is going to be the first name that pops in everybody's list. Of that specific quarterback, because Will Levis didn't really do that in college. Will Levis is a good quarterback. I don't want to sit here and bash Will Levis, because I think he is a good quarterback. The traits are there to become a very good quarterback in the NFL. But do I think he's better than Bryce Young? No. But the problem is, Bryce Young's not very big. And the NFL, as we talked about before, remember when we talked about the Tyreek Kill thing, when people were trying to bat- draft wide receiver, fast wide receivers, ty- the Devin Hester thing. NFL's a copycat league. They want what's working right now, and currently what's working right now is tradesy quarterbacks that are bigger. Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, et cetera, et cetera. And Allen being the main guy in that. And Will Levis is going to get make, will probably get drafted first overall because of that. At this point in time. That could be sub, that's subject to change, but I think at this point, the top two quarterbacks for a lot of people, at least the NFL circles, I'm not saying this is what the national media will agree with, but I think the top two guys in regards to the NFL draft, what I think will be is going to be young and and Levis, and congrats, good on Young for playing in the bowl game. I think that's really cool that Bryce Young and Will, and Will Anderson are playing in the bowl game for Alabama against Kansas State. I think that's really cool. Uh, Jalen Carter going two to Seattle. Will Anderson going three to Chicago. Uh, Bryce Young going four to Detroit. I don't think the Lions will draft a quarterback unless it's Bryce Young. That's my main thing here because I don't think any other quarterback – I mean, Will Levis would be nice there, but I don't think – again, I think Will Levis would probably go number one. At this point, as I say here on December 20th, Bryce Young is a higher ceiling than uh, than Jared Goff. Because I think you're drafting, hypothetically, they draft C.J. Stroud. I don't think you're really going anywhere in regards to moving up or down the spectrum. On like, You draft a quarterback to replace a guy that's actually pretty good in having a good season, then you better get a guy in the draft that's going to be better than him, or can add something to your roster. If that makes sense. In the future. So if you draft Stroud, Stroud and Goff are very, very similar. So I don't think I don't think C.J. Stroud, though he put up really good numbers, there's times I watch C.J. Stroud and go, he looks very nervous. He looks very nervous. He doesn't have the insane arm strength as, like, Levis, and he's, nowhere, he's not as athletic as Young. And he doesn't even have as strong of an arm as Bryce Young. So I get kind of nervous with C.J. Stroud at times, especially when you look at the first half of the season versus second half of the season for him in Ohio State. For him, it's very night and day. He had like 24 touchdowns the first half of the season and like 13 the last half of the season. Post-Iowa game, he looked really weird. And I think he might 
I don't. I wouldn't honestly be surprised if he slipped out of the top ten. I would not be surprised about that. I wouldn't really be surprised about that because there's traits there that I'm kind of. I don't think he'll go first overall. I don't think that will happen. But I could see him possibly leaving top ten. Uh, but number five, Eagles, Miles Murphy, Cardinals, Peter Skronsky, tackle from Northwestern. Uh, seven, Colts, C.J. Stroud. They just need a quarterback, and Stroud's the next best one available. But if you want potential, you go after Anthony Anthony Richardson. Uh, eight, Raiders, Tyree Wilson, Panthers, Anthony Richardson, Tracy, through the roof. Arm talent, insane. Athletic ability, insane. Rawness, insane. <laughs> Absolutely insane. With Anthony Richardson, I think he can go anywhere in the top 10 or fall out of the first round completely. I don't know. I think all the tools are there for him to be an elite quarterback at this level. And you saw his importance in the Florida game. I know Florida had a few other players missing out, but them losing to Oregon State the way they did, as we predicted, not necessarily saying they'd lose that bad, but saying that they'd lose that game. Yeah, Anthony Richardson's loss was big in that one. I think he'd be fun. He's going to be fun in the NFL. Uh, Atlanta, number 10, Brian Bressey. Apparently, he's not decided yet on if he's going to the NFL. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. He'll be a top 10 pick this year probably. If he goes out this year, he could be even higher if he comes back next year. Obviously, he's had some injuries at Clemson the past two years. So maybe he wants to improve his draft stock even more and stay another year. I don't know. They're saying there's a good chance he stays, so we'll have to wait and see on that. Uh, 11 and 12, we have the first two wide receivers, Quentin Johnson going to Jacksonville and then Jordan Addison going to Houston. Uh, get Jordan Trevor Lawrence legit number one option. I know Christian Kirk's had a good year. Uh, they just trade for Calvin Ridley. Zay Jones is there, Evan Ingram, but... Get Quentin Johnson. I think that'd be very fun to see him and Jordan Trevor Lawrence work out. Uh, the Texans, you draft your quarterback, get him a weapon. Uh, Brandon Cooks was uh, trying to get a trade away this season. And he's battled concussions throughout his entire career. Might as well get Trevor, uh, Will Levis a guy right away. You see this a couple times. We brought this up on Friday, but like Joe Burrow, T. Higgins were drafted in the same year. So like it's, I'm not saying this is, you have to do that, but it does build some chemistry. You come in together, you work out in the summer all the time. Like, it helps build build chemistry certain times. Like, the Bengals did it again with Andy Dalton and A.J. Green. I think it's a smart strategy you implement, so I think the Houston Texans take Jordan Addison. Uh, Steelers, Paris Johnson Jr., tackle from Ohio State. Packers, Michael Meyer, Mayer, tight end from Notre Dame. Lions take Joey Porter Jr. from Penn State, the corner. I just think it's funny that you look at their coaching staff. It's all ex-players. So why not draft a kid of an ex-NFL player? I think that makes And they need help on defense anyways. Uh, Chargers, Lucas Van Ness. Get some help along their 3-4 defensive line. Seahawks, Brian Branch get the get another piece for a very talented young secondary, and eventually they'll have to replace Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams, who are both 30 and 30, 28. And Jamal Adams out for the season anyways. So Brian Branch can play both safety and nickel corner and even outside corners. You push Kobe Bryant back outside. So you have a, a cornerback pair, a triplet, of Tark Woolen, Kobe Bryant, and Brian Branch, and then potentially move Branch to safety whenever Diggs or Adams are done. You have a good option there. Uh, Broderick Jones, the the Jets at 18. Obviously, this draft order has changed since last week because games have happened and stuff like that, but this is what we had last Friday. Then the Bucks, 18 or 19, uh, taking Christian Gonzalez corner. Needs a velvet corner. I just learned this weekend they got their first they got an interception against Joe Burrow this weekend. It's their first interception in two months. Not to mention they got some free agents in the secondary as well. Uh, Titans, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba wide receiver. Only team to have less yards receiving than the Titans this year out of receivers is the Chicago Bears, and you don't want that label, especially since you want to be a playoff team. Get some more options. you got Traylon Burks there, but he can't stay healthy. When he's healthy, he's good, but uh, I think you'd have a nice little one-two punch with a healthy Traylon Burks and a healthy Smith and Jigba, even though he's battled a crap ton of uh, hamstring injuries this year. 
Uh, Pagers, Keely Ringo from Georgia, the corner. Cam Smith, another corner from South Carolina, going to the Commanders at 22. Giants take Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee. I'm up in the air about Daniel Jones in regards to what they're going to do with their future, but they have no wide receivers at this point. They really don't have a lot of options. Jalen Hyatt, I think, could go higher than this, if we're being honest. I think Jalen Hyatt's speed's legit. I think his deep third ability's legit. You see his game against Alabama where he had five touchdowns. I think this dude's legit. I think he could go higher than 23 once the draft ultimately rolls around. I think he'll crush the combine, crush the pro day, and I think he he could probably go in the teens. And when I say teens, like high teens. Uh, 24, Jared Verse from Florida State. Uh, Broncos trade Bradley Chubb. They need, the, they need edge rusher help. Uh, Bron- uh, Ravens taking Clark Phillips. Need cornerback help. Their corners are scary. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals, Darnell Washington, tight end from Georgia, 6'7", 270. He's a freaking monster. 275, sorry, 275. The Bengals love putting, they always seem to emphasize putting weapons around Joe Burrow, and Darnell Washington would not only give a weapon for Joe Burrow in the red zone, he'd provide another outlet in the run game in regards to run blocking, and he'd be able to pass block as well. He's as big as an offensive lineman. Hey, this dude can pass block. So Joe Burrow has been sad to crap ton this year. I think getting a guy like Darnell Washington would help both in the pass game in regards to blocking and receiving and in the run game to help Joe Mixon and Shamaj P. Ryan I think be smart, uh, though cornerback could be an option. Cowboys take Devon Witherspoon from Illinois, corner. I can't see Chiefs. Zach Harrison from Ohio State, the edge rusher. Uh, he's 6'6", 272. The Chiefs love big defensive ends. You look at their current crop of defensive ends. You've got Frank Clark. You've got George Kalaftis. You've got Carlos Dunlap. All over 270, all around 270, because I, I think George Kalaftis is just under. But I think Zach Harrison fits that. He's relentless. He'd fit along that D-line, especially with Carlos Dunlap getting older. And I'm pretty sure Frank Clark's going to be a free agent next year. I, if I'm remembering correctly, I think Chris Jones will be as well. Big defensive end, I think he'd fit there. Though they could use like a wide receiver to tackle with uh, the whole situation regarding Orlando Brown. Uh, then Vikings taking Zay Flowers, Adam Thielen getting older. They need another partner for uh, for Justin Jefferson. And Zay Flowers can play both in the slot and outside. He's a really good wide receiver. Uh, Bills taking Osiris Torrance, offensive guard from Florida. Bills really like drafting freak athletes or freaks of the position. Torrance is 6'5", 2, or 2, 3'45". Bills' biggest threat. The biggest issue with the Bills is their lack of run game. And the big reason why is it always circulated around their running backs, the fact that they don't run block. They brought in Roger Saffold for that exact reason, and he played well early on, but he's kind of struggled recently. Ryan Bates, I like him, but... I don't think he's a long-term answer there. Ike Butker just got activated off the physically unable to perform list. So we'll see how he does when he comes back, if he starts right away or not. But I think Osiris Torrance would be a plug-and-play guard for the Buffalo Bills, not only improving their pass blocking, who has the – I think he's given up no sacks in his career. I think it's 47 career starts at Florida Torrance. Oh, he's just allowed one sack. One sack. So run blocking and pass blocking would help there. And 31, Eagles take Bijan Robinson – I think there's a chance Bijan Robinson go to like the Falcons, especially with Cordero Patterson. We talked about that on Friday, being 32. The Falcons are the only team in the NFL that have a starting running back over the age of 30. And with Robert Smith being or Arthur Smith being an run-oriented head coach, I think that could be an option there. But it is early for running back, especially in today's NFL with how teams are viewing running backs. I think Bijan Robinson could go really high, but I could also see him falling all the way down to 31. I think this dude's uber talented. I think he's one of the best run- – he's the best running back in the draft by some margin. I think he can go anywhere from the top five to all the way down to 31. He ain't falling out of the first round. We know that. But there's not a lot of teams that really need running backs this year. There's not just not a lot of teams that need running backs. So it's kind of an issue. Like, how early do you draft one? 
Like the Eagles and Falcons are probably the top two teams there, and the Falcons don't really need one because Cordell Patterson has done well, even though he's 32 going on 33 years old. Tyler Allgaier has shown flashes. So it's kind of a situation where you're like, what the hell, do the, what, where does he go? Like, do the Ravens possibly take him, which I think we talked about on Friday, about the Ravens possibly taking a running back there? The Bucks maybe, but I like Rashad White there. Do the Bills take a running back? Do uh, Who else could take a running back? Um, scrolling around through here, I don't really know who else would even take a running back that high. Like it's it's just a weird spot for being maybe the Cardinals. I don't I don't know. So it's it's hard. So I would I'm leaning towards him going to the back half of the first round. But that's what we're looking at with the mock draft. So make sure you, again we talked about this at the beginning, but make sure you go to the LoganBlackmanShow.com, go into the blog section and click on your first post to read the mock draft. You can read the description as well. Every single pick we've had there. And, uh, yeah, go to the Logan Blavin Show Facebook page and all different social media platforms, and you can view the blog post from there as well. Just go make sure you check that one out. And uh, I want to touch a little bit on college football. It's kind of the segue between the NFL and college. Middle ground is the NFL draft. And we've had some bowl games go on this week. We have, uh, we've had UTSA and Troy, Troy winning 18-12. We have UAB beating Miami 24-20. Oregon State crapping on Florida 30-3. Uh, Louisville beating Cincinnati 24-7. Fresno State beating Washington State 29-6. Jake Hayner throwing two touchdowns in this game, outdueling Cameron Ward in this game. Cameron Ward did not have his best game. 137 yards in an interception, no touchdowns for the Washington State guy. Uh, Southern Miss beat Rice 38-24. Rice is 5-8. I wanted Rice to win that game, but I also thought it was, I think it's funny to see a team make a bowl game that is 5-8. I think that's hilarious. Uh, BYU beat SMU 24-23. Jaron Hall did not play in this game, so I was a little concerned about that going in. But BYU did manage to pull out in that game. Boise State beat uh, North Texas 35-32. And Marshall beat UConn 28-14. And then right now we have Eastern Eastern Michigan taking on San Jose State. Eastern Michigan is winning 33-20. And then Liberty and Toledo is taking place at 6-30 tonight. So you guys will obviously know what happens that game. Wednesday, we have Western Kentucky versus South Alabama, which should be a fun game, and then Baylor Air Force on Thursday. And then we got some games Friday, Saturday, you know, Christmas, Christmas Eve, and stuff like that. So we're not going to have a show on Monday either. So just a little heads up for that one. Because, <laughs> yeah, I'm not recording anything on Christmas. Oh, no, 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 no. I lied. I lied. I'm recording something on Friday with a friend. So we'll have a show on Wednesday or Monday. We will have a show on Monday. Yeah, look at that. Good job. That was Brady's idea, too. That was Brady's idea. Now, there's something I want to talk about here real quick. It it involves the state of Iowa. It's actually a really big story in the state of Iowa, and I think you should know what I'm talking about, and that is of the um, Caden Proctor, who was the Southeast Polk offensive tackle, the top-rated offensive tackle in this year's recruiting class, top-five player in the entire country, regardless of position. Number one tackle, top-five player in the country, was committed to Iowa. You know, the, the office of lineman capital of the world, University of Iowa. And Caden uh, Proctor was committed to Iowa on June 30th, I believe is what the original tweet was. And there was reports going out all weekend about Caden Proctor decommitting from Iowa and committing to Alabama. And then now it's official. I was going to talk about this as in regards to a preview because he's in, he's officially announcing it tomorrow morning, Wednesday at like 8.30. So, if you're listening to the show before 8.30, you can go to Southeast Polk High School and he can view the commitment stuff. But we were going to talk about it as a preview thing, but now it's official. He tweeted it out, like, right as we were starting, he tweeted it out. And, um, yeah, it sucks. 
It does suck, especially when Iowa's big problem area recently has been there off the line, and you have a guy in the top five who's committed, and you're like, oh, he's going to be the guy. And then you have a player that played with him in high school in Xavier Nwankpa at Iowa. It's like, oh, he's going to bring Caden Proctor with him. It's going to be awesome. And then you have this. And it's upsetting that you lose a top five player in the class. It's upsetting you lose another in-state product to Alabama. The first one being Ross Piercebacher, who started four years at Alabama, won, I think, three national championships. So, yeah, I mean, it's a rough loss. It's a rough loss for the University of Iowa and the football team. But I I wish him nothing but success at Alabama. And the thing I wanted to talk about with this is how people are reacting to this. Because this was announced that he was possibly not coming to Iowa, I believe, ooh, when was that? Sunday night, I believe, is when the announcement kind of circulated when like 24-7 Sports was making a crystal ball prediction that was changed to Alabama from Iowa. And people on Twitter have been like, let's just, let, I'm just going to search Caden Proctor. Let's just see what pops up. I'm on his Twitter account right now, but let's see what, if I go to like the Explore page. Let's see what pops up. Latest. Let's just go to latest. Let's see what the people lately have been saying. Not the not the sponsored stuff. Uh, like, there's a Twitter account right now called the Caden Proctor Hate Club. Why? Why? The Caden Proctor Hate Club. Really? He's 18 years old. Caden Proctor Hate Club is really what we're gonna we're gonna have going for us right now. It's a really weird. I don't. I don't get it. I don't get why people. And I've seen things like, like I screenshotted this one. I can't find it right now, but I screenshotted it. Uh, Kane Proctor is not welcome in the state of Iowa for the rest of his life. Like why? Like he. I don't. I don't understand this, because it's funny. What made me laugh about this? He his his Twitter name is just a dot, and it's Xavier Nwangpa. At Xavier Nwangpa in all caps, but it's not Xavier Nwangpa. The funniest part about this whole thing is that his Twitter account's Cade, Cade McNamara. Like, these people that want... You make a commitment, you gotta stick it out, you gotta see through it. Which I agree with. But when certain opportunities pop up, there is change of heart. I'm sure he's not the exact same mindset that he was in June that he is right now. I'm sure he's in a different mindset. And then it goes to the people that are like, well, if you're not ready to commit, don't commit. If you're not going to be 100%, don't commit. Well, then what do you say to these? You've got Cade McNamara as your profile picture, who just left the University of Michigan. If you want that same attitude for, if you make a commitment, go to there. Cade McNamara transferred from Michigan. Like, if you're mad at at Cade Proctor for decommitting and going to Alabama, you can't have a profile picture as a quarterback that decommitted, essentially, and transferred to Iowa. Like, opportunities arise. Situations change. Opinions change. Mindsets change. Everything changes. It's not a locked-in thing. Sure, would it have been nice to have him stay at Iowa? Yes, it would have. But to have a have a Twitter account, just Hayden Proctor, Caden Proctor Hate Club, and then have a Twitter account talking about how much you hate Caden Proctor while having a guy that decommitted, essentially, from another university to join your university. Like, this is another way around. You'd be welcoming him with open arms. Like, if there was a player that decommitted from another school and came to Iowa, you'd love it. Or decommitted from another school on your team. I guess it doesn't all just roll around Iowa, because every school does this. And it bothers me. 
I understand the mindset if you're committed. If you're not ready to commit, don't commit. I understand that. But you can't be excited when someone decommits and then commits to your school and then hate, like make hate accounts for a dude that decommits from you and goes to another school. And not just another school. Like, I understand. Like, they're talking about, oh, he's getting a bag. But people always say, oh, so he's probably getting a shit ton of money. It might be true. But Alabama, regardless, is a tough place to move away from. Very tough place to move away from. There's stuff circling around of, like, his mom wants him to go to Alabama, get the bag from the NIL deal and stuff like that. He wants to stay at Iowa. He hasn't made any comments on it. That's what Wednesday's for, so we'll probably hear all about what he's doing from a from that perspective tomorrow. But I don't – it doesn't – like, it bother, It hurts that he's not going to play for the University of Iowa. But seriously, it's not that big of a deal. Like, it's it's not that big of a deal. And it's not like – like, people, before I realize – finalize – before anything's finalized, I like to implore Caden Project to compare his career to – compare his Pierce Bacher and Tristan Wirfs. They're different players. They're completely different players. I would implore you to compare the careers of Jamarcus Russell and Joe Burrow. What? Why does that matter? It really doesn't matter. They're different players. Stop scouting the helmet and scout the player. Like just because Pierce Bocker hasn't, he's not a starter in the NFL. Dude won three national championships, started for four years at Alabama. Tristan Wurst is one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL. Yes. Should have been a top five pick when he got drafted in 2020. Yes. But him and Kate, him and Piercebacher are not the same. So let's cut. And then Worse is beloved by Iowans. Most Alabama fans have no idea, have no idea who Piercebacher is. Like, they do, who cares? Go to what you think is best for you. What gives you the best situation, and that can change. In June, he could have thought it was Iowa. That can change. Like, when I was, I didn't commit. But I got recruited by Coe and Warburg, and my final three were Coe, Warburg, and William Penn. I was set, when I first was going to these camps, I wanted to go to Coe. Coach Staker was awesome. The dad and now the current head coach were awesome. I visited Warburg, and I wanted to go to Warburg. Then I got a visit from William Penn. Got offers from all of them. And I didn't commit to any of them, but my mindset down the line changed. Like, when I first went to Co, I was like, oh, I want to go to Co. I want to go to Co. And then it changed throughout time. Certain situations happen. People are like, oh, yes, let's get in right now. Let's get in right now. And then you're like, oh. Some people are quick like that with their decisions. Then you regret it afterwards. And would you rather have had him come and then transfer from Iowa? I, I don't know. I think it's fine. I, I think it's fine. In, re- in regards to a kid making the decision that works best for him. You don't need to go out and make Twitter accounts and destroy this kid for choosing Alabama over Iowa. And don't hate on people for transferring. Don't hate on people for accepting NIL money. Every person has their reason for doing what they're doing. Regardless if you like it or not. Kane Proctor is not really concerned about what Joe Schmo from Liberty thinks about what he's transferring to Alabama from Iowa. If he feels this is the best, then do it. Then do it. 
That's all I've really got to say about the situation. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's fun. I like I love college football. Like it's frustrating at times, but it's it's not life or death. It's not life or death. So let's let's calm down with the situation about Oh, he's dead to us. He's no longer allowed back in the state of Iowa. What's going to happen tomorrow at Southeast Polk High School, a black and gold school with a guy who played with him now at Iowa? What's that going to be like? Nothing. They're still going to be friends. The people that he was friends with when he committed to Iowa are not going to hate him. Unless he burned every bridge, unless he goes in the press conference tomorrow and says, hey, F Iowa, I hate that school. I hate the state. I want to get out of here. Then fine. That's different. But from everything I've seen about Caden Proctor, there's no reason to absolutely bash this kid. I could say kid because I'm freaking, what, seven years older than him. But you can't be, let's all get excited for these transfers and then bash Caden Proctor. Like, it's, it's just so stupid. Like, this person is exactly what I just saw. I found this tweet. Gets Cade McNamara and Eric All. Swarm, NIL, the portal, let's go. Loses Caden Proctor. WTF, NIL is killing college sports. This isn't the pros. I can't watch this sport anymore. Yes, it's okay to be upset. But going in on a kid for making a decision, what he feels is best for him, is, fun, is, not, is not it. Remember last year we talked about the whole Twitter account dedicated to bashing C.J. Stroud? Like, who cares where he goes? He gone to Iowa? He could have gone somewhere else. Doesn't matter. Max Duggan's not in the state of Iowa. Iowans love Max Duggan. Max Duggan's from Iowa. He's second Heisman finalist for TCU. He's going to the NFL draft. No one hates Max Duggan. But he wasn't committed to Iowa. Just because he's going to another state does not mean Iowans will hate him. If you hate him, if you hate this dude for doing this, screw you. That's all I pretty much got to say. Do what's best for you. Situations change. Everything changes. Wish him the best. Nothing but uh, but good vibes going towards him. But yeah. It sucks. It sucks. I'm not stupid. It sucks. But yeah, that's all I've got for you today. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'll leave you with this. Uh, of the 30, 301 quarterbacks drafted over the last 25 years, only two quarterbacks are under 5'11 and 200 pounds. Neither drafted with their first 100 picks. Bryce Young currently stands around 5'10, 190. Is tied to be the favorite of the first round draft, first overall pick. This is what we talk about with uh, Will Levis. It's again why I think Will Levis will probably be the first overall draft pick. So that is it for this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I hope you enjoyed. If not, I severely apologize, sincerely apologize, and we'll try to be better next time. Good luck to Caden Proctor down in Alabama. Um, good luck to the rest of the bowl games this year. Uh, what else do we have? What, what game's going on Thursday? What game? Oh, wait. It's like the freaking Jets and Jaguars, isn't it? Ugh, yuck. Okay. Well, that's all, <laughs> that's all I've got for you today on this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Make sure you go and check out the blog posts on theloganblackmanshow.com. Make sure you follow me on every single form of social media. Make sure you're subscribed and are following the Apple Podcast Spotify account. Leave a rating on five stars in the description down below. And I will see you all later. Peace.